Hey y'all, I'm Melanie. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Old North State Podcast. We're bringing you on a deep dive into all things North Carolina. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. (laughs) Happy summertime. Happy summertime. (laughs) We are back, baby. Uh, We took a short hiatus from making the podcast um, because our podcast studio is slowly transforming into a... A nursery. We're pregnant. Yeah. And Melody's doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Uh, Yeah, I'm... A good chunk. (laughs) Most of it. (laughs) Um, But we're pregnant, and once we found out, we needed to prioritize. (laughs) Yeah, I desperately needed a break. And yeah, we knocked out like 70 episodes in a row for y'all. You're welcome. Week after week, we had a blast doing it. Um, We are going to continue doing it, just um, it's going to look a little different. As we can. Yeah. Um. As long as we have fun, we will continue yeah. doing this. Yeah, but you know we're only human. I am, I am pregnant, so I need breaks from things, and I just started a new job, so yeah. just busy, 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 busy. Yeah, for the rest of our lives, we are gonna have a, uh, a lot more to do now. <laughs> I know, it's terrible. No, I'm just kidding. It's great. Okay, let the crisis sink in. All right, so today we are going to be talking about. The Battleship North Carolina. Mm-hmm. We're talking about it because we visited it um, recently. Yeah. So we'll have our own personal experiences to share. Uh, and we'll talk about that at the end. But before we do that, we'll do the history. Totes. And before we do that, we have to do the counties. Oh my god, I forgot. Do you remember where we left off? I do, but it's going to take me a minute to... You have the, the bookmark saved, right? I do, but my computer's oh, like... <laughs> right. In the meantime, um, I'll stall and tell y'all, um, since we took our break, I've done a few speaking engagements. I was part of Con Carolinas about a month ago. Can I have your phone? In which... take too long. <laughs> um, in which case, we talked about ghost stories of Charlotte. And... Um, also, we did a, a Ouija board workshop. You did a Ouija board workshop? Yeah, so I was on the panel for a Ouija board workshop. I was on a panel for our tarot cards, our um, pendulums, and that type of stuff. Are they evil? The answer was no. And then the third one, or the fourth one, was Ghost Hunting 101. Had a fantastic time talking on these panels. It was a great opportunity to meet some other like-minded, spooky professionals as well as hone our storytelling craft. And then, even more importantly, we had our um, live event at Devil's Logic a few weeks ago, where we or where I interviewed professor of religious studies at University of North Carolina, Charlotte, and we talked about demons. He had recently written, a, or actually wasn't recent, it was 2015, he wrote a book about, um, it was called American Possessions, which I assumed was going to be about possession cases in America. But it was more so about how different religions use demon references to 
get people into the church or stay in the church. And we had a very great conversation. There was a lot of audience participation. And it was a, it was a good time overall. Great. You found it? Yes. No great. thanks to my stupid Google Chrome. Anyway, this county, this, this particular episode is Carteret County, yes. which is on the coast. Um, and Carteret County comes from John Carteret. The second Earl of Granville, who lived from 1690 to 1763, and he inherited one-eighth share in the province of Carolina through his great-grandfather, George Carteret. The county was established in 1722. Yes, 100 counties in North Carolina, and we are at the seas right Yes, now. county seat is Beaufort, not Beaufort. Huh? That's the county seat. <clears throat> seat? Mm-hmm. Like, like, like how Charlotte's the county seat of Mecklenburg and how Raleigh's the county seat of Wake County. Gotcha. Cool. County seat of Carteret County is Beaufort. Very nice. Not Beaufort. No, because North Carolina is Bojangles. Bojangles. Beaufort. Great. All right. <laughs> August 1st. 1937, the USS North Carolina was ordered, and on October 27th, 1937, it was laid down at the New York Naval Shipyard. See? Another uh, northern transplant. <laughs> this is coming from New York. I came from Connecticut. Uh-huh. One sentence in. I already have something to say. <laughs> it was the first battleship to be constructed in 16 years, and it was the first of 10 fast battleships. A fast battleship emphasized speed without heavily, without being heavily armored so they could have different roles in the battle, like escorting aircraft carriers. The North Carolina was also the first battleship to be constructed under the Washington Treaty System. The Washington Treaty, also known as the Five Power Treaty, was signed in 1922 by the major allies of World War I, who agreed to prevent an arms race by limiting naval construction. The terms were modified by the London Naval Treaty in 1930 and again in the Second London Naval Treaty of 1936, which added restrictions on the maximum size of the signatories' ships and the maximum caliber of guns they could carry. The main battery of gun guns could be no longer than 14 inches under this treaty. After this ship and others were authorized under the treaties, the United States invoked the Escalator Clause. <laughs> permitting an increase of the gun size from 14 to 16 inches in the event that any nation refused to sign the treaty. Japan refused to sign the treaty, so that meant the North Carolina was specifically designed with the opponent's guns in mind. Which is a nice way of saying we knew that they weren't going to do it, so we did it uh -huh. first. Um, man, for our first episode back, we really chose a... It's very wordy. A wordy one. Yep. <laughs> Back to it. The North Carolina was completed and commissioned on April 9th, 1941. It is 728 feet and 9 inches long with a beam of 108 feet and, not, and 4 inches and a draft of 32 feet and 11 and a half inches. They couldn't just make it 12. <laughs> no. Got a nickel yeah, and dime. You just had to, you know... <laughs> 
cut those six inches out. Government work. Her standard <laughs> displacement was 35,000 long tons and increased to 44,800 long tons with a full combat load. She is powered by General Electric steam turbines and has a cruising range of 17,450 nautical miles at a speed of 15 knots, which is 17 miles per hour. She was armed with a main battery of nine 16-inch 45 caliber Mark VI guns. The ship was also equipped with an anti-aircraft battery that became essential during World War II. Um, I listened to a podcast okay. on the way down to Wilmington. You were asleep in the car. And I was resting my eyes. <laughs> yep. And they it was about the battleship because we were just about to visit it. And they said that, I can't remember which gun, but one of the guns that if they shot it from where it was in Wilmington, which is right on um, the Cape Fear River, across from the downtown Riverwalk, um, if they shot one of their guns from that location, they could reach Carolina Beach, hmm. which is a ways away. How fun. How how fun, indeed. The ship was officially launched on June 13th and commissioned into fleet at a ceremony attended by North Carolina Governor J. Melville Broughton. I wonder if that was a Friday. Friday the 13th. What year was this? This was in 1941. Uh, while you look that up, the first commanding officer of the ship was Captain <gasps> Olaf M. Hustavet. It was a Friday. Heck Yeah. <laughs> In peace, the ship had a crew of 1,800 officers and enlisted men, and during the war, she had 99 officers and 2,305 enlisted. So, just to recap that, the ship officially launched on June, Friday the 13th, which we'll come back later because of ghosts. So, after the attack on okay. Pearl Harbor, the North Carolina was mobilized for war. Its first operation was in April 1942, when she deployed to the naval station Argentia in Newfoundland, Canada. It was part of a force that intended to block the German battleship's Tirpitz. However, the Tirpitz remained in Norway, and the North Carolina was then sent to the Pacific. The ship passed through the Panama Canal on June 10, 1942, accompanied by the aircraft carrier's Wasp and Long Island, and nine destroyers. Under Task Force 16, the North Carolina joined Operation Watchtower, which was a campaign on and around the Guadalcanal Islands in the Pacific between August 1942 and February 1943. This was the first major Allied land offensive against Japan. And the, object, and the objective was to neutralize the major Japanese base Rabaul in Papua New Guinea. August 7th began the invasion of Guadalcanal and Tulagi, and North Carolina <laughs> covered the aircraft carrier Enterprise and remained with its company to protect it from Japanese airstrikes. The next day, the commanding officer withdrew the carrier groups because he was afraid of torpedo bombers. On August 9th, forces landed and the Battle of Savo Island happened. That's what that should say, yes. <laughs> Oops. A Japanese cruise squadron attacked the invasion fleet at night, which gave the Navy a major defeat. 
The Navy considered forming a combat force centered around the North Carolina to counter the attack, but they decided they needed to protect the carrier task forces instead of taking away their defenses. So now on top of um, mispronouncing North Carolina um, towns, I'm also going to be mispronouncing Japanese Japanese cities. islands and... That's a double whammy for your father to hear. Polynesian, well... Okay, the Japanese cities aren't the hard part. It's all of these little tiny little islands yeah. <laughs> that are out in the Pacific. <laughs> History repeats itself. So, a few weeks later, at the Battle of the Eastern Solomon Islands on August 24th and 25th... See, that was easy. <laughs> the North Carolina screened aircraft carriers and shot down several Japanese planes. During the battle, the North Carolina was the first to detect a group of Japanese carriers using her air search radar. The Japanese focused on the Enterprise, but the North Carolina was able to utilize her anti-aircraft battery. A group of seven Japanese dive bombers attacked the ship, but their efforts failed. The Enterprise was bombed three times, but the North Carolina and the Saratoga were able to land damaging blows against the Japanese. There was one casualty on the North Carolina, and the man was killed by a staffing aircraft, which is a military... Strafing. Yep, there was an R in there. A strafing <laughs> aircraft, which is a military practice involving a low-flying aircraft and aircraft-mounted automatic weapons, and is usually done on land targets. While the Enterprise was being repaired, the North Carolina was transferred to Task Force 17 to cover the Saratoga. The ships were off the coast of Guadalcanal for the next few weeks during which the North Carolina was struck by a Japanese torpedo. The Japanese had tried to strike the ship with torpedoes twice. The first was shot on September 6th, but passed about 300 yards off the port side. The second torpedo came from the submarine I-19 on September 15th. The I-19 fired six torpedoes at the Wasp, two or three of which hit and two continued five nautical miles away. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it just keeps going. It just keeps going, and then it hits, and it's like, it's like it just man, hits out of nowhere. Part of this. It, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whales out there, minding oh, no. its own business. <laughs> like in the boys. Oh, god! But with a torpedo. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, Woof. one of those hit the destroyer O'Brien, and the other hit the North Carolina. She was struck 20 feet below the waterline on the port side, it tore a hole 32 feet by 18 feet. Five men were killed, including one who was washed overboard. But the torpedo did not seriously damage the ship. She took on water, but because of the area was not, or the because the area that was struck, um, the crew was able to seal it off quickly. So everything said that he was washed overboard, mm -hmm. but I'm wondering if he was washed out through the hole. So yeah, right. I wonder. Because te technically that's not overboard. <laughs> um, yeah. Sad. I guess we'll never get to know. Unless we'll return to that thought later. The ship was withdrawn from the area and sent to Pearl Harbor for repairs, which lasted from September 30th to November 17th. After the repairs, the North Carolina was sent back to screening the Saratoga and the Enterprise. And during this time, she was part of a convoy that carried soldiers and supplies to the Solomon Islands. And that concludes my part. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and take a drink <laughs> from my can of beverage that I'm using a Arcane Carolinas koozie to, to cooze. 
Cool. In March 1943, she returned to Pearl Harbor for a refit that lasted about a month. They put new equipment on her, including new radar radars and improved fire control equipment. The North Carolina then rejoined the battleship group called Task Force 36, which covered the amphibious assault during Operation Cartwheel, whose mission was to isolate Rabal, Rabul, Rabal. Yes. I think it's Rabal. Uh, see, you got all the easy words. <laughs> I have like 50 hard places coming up. So she saw no action during this mission and was sent back to Pearl Harbor to prepare for the Gilbert and Marshall Islands campaign. The Gilbert and Marshall Islands campaign, including assaults on McKin, Tarawa, and Abimama, I know that one was wrong, uh, which were some of the first steps in the push across the Central Pacific. The North Carolina covered carriers as they began raiding the islands on November 19, 1943. They bombarded the island of Nauru first while the fleet prepared for the next operation in the Marshalls. She then escorted the carrier ship Bunker Hill across a series of strikes off of Kaving on New Ireland Island in late December. In late January 1944, during the Battle of Kwajalein in the Marshall Islands, the North Carolina remained with a group of carriers under Task Force 58. During the battle, she was sent to join a bombardment targeting Roy Namur on the north side of Kwajalein. I know that that's wrong, but that's okay. But she sank a cargo ship in the harbor there. I just know that, like, some... Somebody is screaming. Exactly. And they're, they're like, oh my god, and you, you know kids. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> a lot of times we'll spell things out, like, phonetically for our notes, but, like... There were so this, many. Yeah. Um, this battleship really had a long campaign in this war. She um, went a lot of places. She saw a lot of stuff. And we're trying to do her a service of immortalizing that journey through this podcast. <laughs> and we are trying our best. <laughs> <laughs> After four days of heavy fighting, the island was captured and Task Force 58 was sent to go raid truck which was Japan's main staging area in the Central Pacific. It was located in the Carolina Islands, which has been occupied by Japan since 1914. Under Task Force 58.3, the North Carolina assisted in Operation Hailstone, which sank or destroyed 39 ships, destroyed 211 aircraft, and damaged 104 other planes. Hot dog. It's a lot. Yeah. With these areas... Of the Central Pacific secured, Task Force 58 was sent on a series of raids to prepare for an upcoming attack on the Mariana Islands. During the raids, the North Carolina shot down a few Japanese aircraft. Two of the ship's Kingfisher float planes were sent to rescue a pilot who had crashed off of a reef. However, one of the planes capsized upon landing and the other was unable to take off because of the additional weight from the other float plane crew. A submarine had to come and pick them up. Did you ever um, read that story about, I'm going to butcher this. I feel like I did a project about it in like elementary school. But You're trying like your best? A group <laughs> of people who were like group of American sailors who were like shipwrecked on a, an island in the South Pacific. I also feel like that's a plot of a musical. Called, um, South Pacific? Yeah. 
<laughs> but I feel like JFK was part of it. <laughs> this was a little bit before JFK's time. Maybe the guy in the picture just looked like JFK. You keep talking. They all looked the same back then. JFK has a very distinctive face. I know. Anyway. A white man. Oh, exactly. <laughs> All right. Sorry to interrupt. On May 1st, 1944, under Task Force 58.7, the North Carolina and six other ships bombarded Pompeii in the Senyavin Islands. They destroyed Japanese batteries, anti-aircraft guns, and damaged the airfield on the island. After that, the ships under Task Force 58 were sent back to their respective bases, and the North Carolina was sent to Pearl Harbor for repairs. She went to Pearl Harbor a lot. Nice little trip. Yeah. just Enjoyed the weather. <laughs> Probably. Dumped some jet fuel into the drinking water. Oh, my God. Don't, don't get started on that. Operation Forager, also known as the uh, Mariana and Paulu Islands. I know that one's wrong. Uh, Islands campaign began in June 1944. The North Carolina and the rest of Task Force 58 were sortied on June 6 to launch the first assault on the island of Saipan. She screened carriers and bombarded the island to cover minesweepers as they cleared paths for a land invasion. She also shelled Tonopog Harbor, sinking several small vessels in the process. The Marines landed on Saipan on June 15th, and the Japanese launched a counterattack on the fleet. Task Force 58 met the counterattack on June 18th, leading to the ba Battle of the Philippine Sea. 17 ships were deployed uh, 15 nautical miles west of the carrier group to screen the most likely path for the counterattack. During the screening, the fleet inflicted major losses on the Japanese, destroying hundreds of their aircraft and sinking three carriers. The North Carolina was able to shoot down two of these aircraft. The North Carolina remained at the Mariana Islands for two weeks after the Battle of Saipan before being sent for an overhaul at the Puget Sound Navy Yard in Washington State. The ship joined Task Force 58.3 in November, which was a fast carrier task force supporting Army operations on some of the islands in the Philippines. During these operations, she shot down a kamikaze. Typhoon Cobra hit in December right after the invasion of Mindoro, and the ship was not damaged, although three destroyers were sunk during the storm. She's, like, really, obviously not bulletproof, but, like... Escaping. The one that got away, <laughs> right? you know? Now look at her. At the beginning of 1945, the North Carolina supported attacks in the battles of Iwo Jima and Okinawa and numerous other attacks on Japan. On January 10, 1945, the carrier groups entered the South China Sea. A few weeks later, the ship escorted carriers during the attacks on Honshu and disrupted Japanese air forces that might interfere with the looming invasions on Iwo Jima and Bonin, I believe is how that is pronounced. And every time I typed Honshu, all I could think of was Khonshu and Moon Knight. <laughs> Look at you now. I know. You did this to me. <laughs> <laughs> Number one Marvel fan. <laughs> she then refueled and headed north to assist on raids in, on Tokyo, which lasted through February 17th. The fleet under Task Force 58.4 retreated and was sent to Bonin to further isolate Iwo Jima. During preparations for the attack on Iwo Jima, the North Carolina was detached to Task Force 54, which was the assault force for the invasion. 
The Marines invaded on February 19, 1945, and the North Carolina provided cover fire as they fought their way across the island over the next three days. And we all know the iconic shot of them raising the flag. And that happened on February 23rd, I believe. How nice. Yeah. In March, the ship was in several different attacks on areas like the Home Islands and Kyushu in preparation for the attack on Okinawa. On April 1st, 1945, over 60,000 troops stormed Okinawa. The North Carolina saw a lot of battle during this time. She saw, she shot, that was a hard... She sold she, seashells. She did. She shot down three kamikazes, and during an anti-aircraft barrage, she was struck by another ship with five-inch shells, killing three aboard and wounding 44. So I believe that that was friendly fire. No. But I'm not positive. So a major Japanese air and naval counterattack was launched on April 7th, and the North Carolina was able to shoot down one bomber. By April 17th, she had shot down two more kamikazes, and on April 19th, the ship was sent to support other attacks on Okinawa before finally being sent to Pearl Harbor once again for another overhaul. The North Carolina returned to her fleet in the late Gulf in late June before being sent on another series of attacks on Japan beginning on July 10th. During these attacks that lasted more than a week, over 1,000 aircraft hit airfields around Tokyo. By July 19th, a typhoon was approaching, which forced the fleet and the North Carolina to withdraw. After the atomic bombs were dropped on August 6th in Hiroshima and in, on August 9th in Nagasaki, forcing the Japanese to surrender on August 15th. The North Carolina contributed men to the initial occupation and entered Sagami Bay on August 27th, where she patrolled until September 5th. In September, she participated in Operation Magic Carpet, which brought American personnel home. And honestly, they really should have just done Magic Carpet Ride. Yeah, just commit to the bit. Just Operation Magic Carpet Ride and been done. That's my two cents. Nobody asked me. The ship suffered a total of 10 crew dead and 67 wounded during wartime service. She received 12 battle stars during service and 15 battle stars total. The ship arrived in Boston on October 17th for an overhaul and operated briefly in training in the Atlantic and Caribbean. Would you say Caribbean or would you say Caribbean? For that sentence, I think Caribbean would have rolled off the tongue a little bit more. I was but overthinking it's really it. Up to you. I was overthinking it. So she was there before being decommissioned in mid 1947 and placed in reserve. The North Carolina was the only American treaty battleship to see any significant service after the end of World War II. There were plans to modernize the ship, but the Navy decided that they wanted a new helicopter carrier instead because it would be cheaper. So the ship was stricken from the Naval Vessel Register in 1960, where she was slated to be broken up for scrap. How dare they? But a man named James Craig decided, absolutely not. So he formed a campaign to save the ship after the Battleship Texas Commission had successfully saved the Texas for preservation as a museum ship. James Craig convinced then-Governor Luther Hodges to ask the Navy to delay scrapping of the North Carolina. His campaign sought to raise $250,000 to prepare a site to host the ship, 
tow her there and work to prepare for visitors. Three sites were considered, Moorhead City, Wilmington, and Southport. And Wilmington was ultimately selected due to having a more inland protection against hurricanes. And just being, like, all around better. Yeah. Sure. So with the assistance of news station WRAO, which broadcasted a Save Our Ship campaign and several newspapers, James Craig secured over $330,000 for the project. On September 1st, 1961, the ship was transferred to the state of North Carolina and towed from New Jersey by a group of tugboats. At one point during the trip, the tugboats lost control of the ship in the Cape Fear, and it floated, <laughs> collided with a floating restaurant. That's fantastic. I love it. <laughs> Do you think people were just like, abandon the ship? <laughs> and then like the crabs that hadn't been cooked yet were just like, this is our chance, boys. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Surprisingly little damage was done, thankfully. After repairs, but I want so everything I said said surprisingly little damage was done. But I want to know if that was little damage to the ship or little damage to the restaurant. Right. <laughs> Nobody clarified. <laughs> After repairs, the battleship North Carolina was officially opened on April 29th, 1962, and declared the state's memorial to World War II veterans and the 11,000 North Carolinians who died during the war. On November 10th. 1982 she was declared a national historic landmark and when i was typing this because of my pregnancy hormones i started sobbing no. <laughs> i was like it's just so patriotic <laughs> <laughs> and you can visit the battleship any day of the year including christmas they're open between 8 a.m 4 p.m and the tickets start at six dollars heck yeah we visited the battleship we did. We've done it twice now. Spoiler alert. I had COVID and didn't know it. Oh. I mean, that's... you. If you want to share that, that's... <laughs> I mean, there's nothing I can do about it now. Yeah, the first time it was because we were down in Wilmington for our friend's wedding. and. Oh, yeah, that was my birthday. Yeah, and we went around we did during the around. daytime trying to see some ghosts. And then this past May, we went down for my birthday weekend, and we did an overnight ghost hunt. That's when I had COVID. I did not have COVID on my birthday. I yep. had COVID on your birthday. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, so we it was part of Ghost Hunts USA. Mm -hmm. um, we bought tickets with them. We met up with the group around 7 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, 7.30-ish. Very interesting people. And then we were there until um, 2 a.m. or so. Yeah. Could have been there till 3. But we saw what we needed to see. We did. And it was so hot. Yeah. It was hot and humid. It was May. So, um, let's get into it. But before we do, um, to prepare for our trip, I read the book Ghosts on the Battleship North Carolina, written by Danny Bradshaw. I bought it at Old Books on Front Street yeah, in Wilmington, which is, if you're in Wilmington, that's like the number one place you have to visit, because I'm telling you to do so. And the book just happened to be signed by the author, which yeah. was cool. Um, the book is about Danny Bradshaw, who was the overnight security guard for a number of years, and he's still affiliated with the battleship. It tells the stories of his experiences 
um, and why he went from a non-believer to a believer in the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Um, ghosts that he talked about were just a few all over the place, but he saw apparitions of a tall, blondish-haired man. Um, there are some experiences that he had besides the usual poltergeist activity, you know, chairs rocking by themselves, things falling off desks, yada, yada, yada. Um, one of those large metal doors in the battleship that's like attached to the ground, like those circular ones, um, flipped over on itself. And anyone who knows has like those things are extremely heavy. Yeah. And it did it by itself. Um, he's seen faces of people in like the windows when he was on the outside. The little portholes. The portholes when he knows that no one was there. Um, and he's heard like voices, uh, <laughs> like people saying stuff like "get out." I love this picture. What's the this picture? This picture is of him in a porthole. Oh yeah. <laughs> Looking out. Yep. That's so funny. I love it. It's um, just combobulating. That's what it says. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so very good. It's an easy read. Um, yeah, big print. Big print. I pretty much read the entire thing again right before we nice. Um, oh, it's a bill. recorded this. Thanks, Bill, for your book. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thanks, Bill, for your book. And thanks, Danny, for writing that book. So we were on the battleship ready for our night of paranormal investigations. They gathered us in a group, split us into two. Um, at first, they... Went over some equipment that they had with them, as well as dowsing rods. They did a presentation with that, and we got to use them, which was cool. Dowsing rods are like those two metal pieces that people historically have used to hunt for water. Um, They're hunting for it. Exactly. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But in this case, like, they react to when you ask questions and stuff. You know, apparently being inept or in depth with the spirits. Uh, and then we went out onto like the main deck by that time it was dark. That's when we both kind of felt like we saw something through a porthole. Yeah, it was weird. We both felt it. We didn't say it to each other. And then I flashed my flashlight up at the porthole. Um, and that's when we were like, did you think that you saw something? Yeah, it was really hard to tell. Cause I just by the angle that we were at and by like, and it was only lit up by like the red flashing lights of the boat. Yeah. Um, so that was spooky. And then they did the guided stuff, so we went down under the deck, we were in a group. Um, that's when, you know, our our leaders or whatever were, like, having us all sit down extremely quiet, and they were asking questions, trying to get a response, you know, like, can you make that sound again? Can you, um, you know, do whatever? Um, and because it was my birthday, and y'all know I'm a huge skeptic, I wanted to be as part. <laughs> I wanted to be, like, the number one participant. So when they started asking, like, does anyone want to come up here and ask questions, I was like, heck yeah. So I stood up with them, um, you know, participated, and immediately I felt, like, a coolness on my left side. And the woman who said she was a medium of some sort said that she saw a, like, a six-foot-tall man standing behind me who had some affiliation with the military and looked at me respectfully. And he came with you. And he came with me. He was not one with the boat. He came with me, Um, which was interesting. I think it was possibly my grandfather because that's how 
tall he was, and then he was in Korea. Mm. So. Who knows? The Korean War, to be specific. Um, then we changed rooms, and that's when they pulled out some of like their equipment. It was a lot of light sensors, so mm-hmm. like the REM pods, the stuff that you see on ghost shows. The flashlights. The flashlights that are like you don't turn off and on. They kind of. They're mag lights. Yeah, they. They react. Yeah. Sporadically. You twist the top, the. The little. You twist the thing that turns it off and on, just to the point where. A spirit, the wind, whoever could turn it on to create a response. And we did get a, um, a few of those mm-hmm. responses. Um, then there was this creepy long hallway. And once again, I um, volunteered <laughs> to sit at it by myself to see if I had any type of reaction. I did not. I just sat by myself for a good chunk of time and nothing happened. One thing that I liked that we did in that room was they brought in that I like I had never seen before. Is they brought in light up cat toys. <laughs> and I was like, that's so cool that they're using these cat toys, which are like movement triggered and they, they light up. I thought that was cool. Yeah. I had never seen anybody do that before. Yep. Um, and then the third place we went is like below, below deck where the, uh, the torpedo, torpedo room. Yeah, where the torpedo hit the side of the boat, which is connected to where their showers are. And this was the most troubling part because we were in a very small room, about 15 people, and there's absolutely zero airflow in there. No airflow, no lights. So Melanie was just in there spreading the COVID to a bunch of people that signed waivers saying that they were vaccinated and tested and they were all negative. I am so sorry to all of those people. I wonder if this is self-incriminating. What's the statute of limitation for COVID crimes? Sue me. Let's see what happens. See like what happens. I got an extensive legal history. Come on. It's okay. <laughs> um, anyways, we were in there and that's when they used like the phasma box. I think they called it. Yeah. Which was like an updated spirit box, which is like that type of radio. It's, um, it's an app. That acts as a spirit box. Like, it's an app that you put on, a like, a, an iPad or something. Yeah. Which, um, and a spirit box is pretty much like a jailbroken radio that's constantly changing channels. Um, and allegedly, spirits manipulate them, and you get little sound clips that answer questions. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it happens, and we've gotten stuff that seems relevant at the time, but it's also, yeah. I kind of feel like it's one of those psycho things where it's like, you know, you get a million wrong answers, and then you get one, and you're yeah. like, oh, yep, that's it. Yeah. Like, um, we asked, like, in that room, we asked, like, do you know where this boat has been? And the box said Pacific. Did it? Uh-huh. And then we were like, did you mean to say Pacific? And it said, sure. <laughs> I remember when we were in the room outside of the torpedo room before we went in there, or after we went in there. He was like, somebody asked a question that was like, who do you know in this room? And he said, like, Brian or somebody. And that was the leader's name. Ah. Yeah. I rem- That's when you were by yourself. Yep. Once again, I volunteered <laughs> to be in the creepy torpedo room by myself. And God, this thing was spooky because there was absolutely no light in there. No, so it was one of those like sensory deprivation rooms where I couldn't see my hands in front of me. I didn't know if my eyes were like open or closed. 
it was weird, but I did not feel like there was any activity in the room with me. Yeah, while that while that happened with you, we got a lot of like I don't want to say intelligent hits on the spirit box, but they weren't like not intelligent. Yeah, but they weren't answering like direct questions, and then it just stopped. It's probably when I came back. It wasn't, but. <laughs> Um, it was spooky. Yeah. And then after that, for a few hours, they let us just go around by ourselves. And that's when we kind of just walked from room to room. Um, we brought some equipment, but we really were trying not to use it um, too much. Yeah. Because uh, ghost hunting shows are cool and equipment is fun to have. But I think it's like a distraction from. It can be. Yeah. You know, just using your senses. Cause I, cause I saw a ghost. Spoiler alert. That's right. You told um, your stuff. We were in, kind of like a mess hall, cafeteria type area, or like we were behind the kitchen in two different rooms. There was one group in one room, and we were with um, these two ladies in a, the room adjacent to it, which was attached to the little chapel area that they've got down there. Um, and we had been using some equipment, and like, I, I don't think that we were getting responses i think it was malfunctioning that little pyramid device that we had that kept going off i think that was malfunctioning yeah um but the group next to us they had two different phasma boxes and they were talking and then we had one as well for the two ladies we were with and i was like up walking around just looking around doing stuff and the phasma box that we had in our room said like jesus and the one in the other room said, Jesus Christ. And as soon as I looked into their room, there was a full shadow figure standing in the doorway. And I was just kind of like, you know, what's the word when you're, I was just like scanning the area and I saw mm -hmm. it. And as soon as I looked back, it was gone. So I went over there and I said, were any of y'all just standing up in this doorway? And they all told me no. And, and they all looked at me in? like I was stupid. I'm sure that's not what they were trying to. They were rude about it, but anyway. And what room was that? Wasn't that the um, chapel? It was. It was like right next to it. Mm -hmm. Like the chapel was attached to it. Yeah. Yeah. So it was spooky. But I did see something. I know I saw something. I didn't dream it. Like there was a person yeah. standing there. Anyway. Yeah. And that's the tea. <laughs> um, so absolutely visit the battleship. Oh, one more thing is the, the book that we were just talking about, Danny Bradshaw, the guy who wrote it, we asked the security guards who were there that night if they knew him. And they were like, oh, yeah, we know him. And we asked if they felt anything, like if they had any paranormal experiences. And they said all the freaking time. Those guys were so cool. Yeah. Just two <laughs> old dudes. On the battleship. One of them would just go and sit in rooms and just sit there. And yeah. so when you'd walk in there, you would know that it was like an actual person. And he'd scare the crap out of you. Yep. It was great. <laughs> That's what I would do if I was him. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. USS Battleship. Um, if you have had a ghost story or a ghost experience while you were there, shoot us an email or message us on Instagram. We'd love to hear it. Oh, it's my goats. Um, otherwise, do you got anything else to share? No. Oh, so um, today's Friday, Friday the 22nd. Um, mm -hmm. Sunday the 24th marks the first day of Lake Norman Monster Week, which you guys may remember from last year. 
Um, if you're listening to this and you're in the Charlotte area on the upcoming Tuesday, we're having a group meetup at Petty Thieves Brewery, um, where we will be talking about the Lake Norman monster. We have some cool stickers and we hope to see you there. Yeah. All right. Um, we'll talk to y'all next Friday about Lake Norman and some spooky stuff along with it. Cool. See y'all there. Sources for today's episode can be found on our website at anchor.fm slash old north state pod. If you want to send us a topic suggestion, a funny story, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at old north state pod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at old north state pod. Cheers, y'all.